It's great to be here and worship with you today. You know, um, it's an exciting day. It's a beautiful day outside. We've got the Super Bowl coming up. There's a lot to love about today. And one of the things that I've been excited about is diving into week five of our sermon series, which is myths that mess you up. You know, we've been looking at over the last five weeks, myths such as I'll never change or myths like if I, at first I don't succeed, I'm a failure. And last week, many of you shared with me after the service that digging into the myth, God's silence is a bad sign, was really eye-opening for you um, in the season that you find yourself in right now. So I hope that today's message will be similarly impactful because I believe that it hits all of us pretty close to home. And the myth that we're looking at today is worship is my spiritual fill-up. Now, um, not the name Philip, but fill up, two separate words. So worship is my spiritual Philip. Now, in case you're not so clear on the wording, um, think about a sight that you see every day as you drive around. Let's put it up. There it is. So every one of us see these gas stations everywhere we go. Uh, we see them everywhere. They're a part of our lives. In fact, we have to go to these gas stations every once in a while because if we don't, we what? We run out of gas, right? We can't get from point A to point B. The gas station is very important to our lives because it keeps us going. And you know, one of the things that we do is when we gather for weekly worship, we tend to see this experience that we're having right now as a type of spiritual gas station. You know, many of us come to be filled, and for some of us, this is kind of our, our safe place, our happy place, if you will, to kind of uh, unplug from some of the stress that we deal with in our everyday lives. But one of the questions I want us to consider this morning is, is that really God's purpose for our worship? And so you see, when we primarily worship as a place to refuel, we get stuck in something that I call the tired old cycle of the spiritual fill up. And so let me run it down. Pull out your notes um, on the first page. And the first thing I want you to jot down is this. First, we worship to be filled. So that's the first part of this cycle. We worship to be filled. We come in every week, maybe feeling kind of run down and empty. And so we expect to be filled through uplifting music and hopefully an engaging sermon. We hope to leave this place better than when we came in. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being filled in worship. But there's a difference between being filled in worship and worshiping to be filled. You see, the, there's a slight difference there. Coming to be, uh, being filled in worship versus worshiping to be filled. And so we're going to get into that a little bit more later. But for now, let's break down the rest of the cycle and see where it leads us. So first, we worship to be filled, and then we move into our busy week. So write that down. We move into our busy week. Now, I don't know what all of you do for a living, but I'm willing to bet that many of us are really, like many of you are very, very busy people. In fact, I know a few of you are retired and you're probably just as busy as the rest of us. Uh, yeah, I hear the laughter. <laughs> you know, we live in a fast-paced area and it's absolutely exhausting. And we hope that our spiritual fill from worship will see us through the week. But you know what often happens next? Gradually, we feel empty again. Jot that down too. Gradually, we feel empty again. 
The week perhaps has gotten the best of you. That spiritual uplift you felt on Sunday feels kind of like a distant memory, and you're hoping that this coming Sunday arrives as fast as it can so you can refuel. And do you know what happens after that? Well, eventually, we look for God elsewhere. Let's put that up. We look for God elsewhere. That's the fourth part. Eventually, we look for God elsewhere. We assume that the church, uh, maybe God isn't as active here as he used to be, or maybe that this isn't quite the church that we once were um, getting filled in. And, and we do our church shopping. We, we shop around. We find a new place. And for a while, it's good. For a while, we are refilled. But then the same thing happens again. It never lasts. We're stuck in the cycle, worshiping to be filled, moving into our busy week, and gradually feeling empty again. It confuses us, and we're not sure what to do with it. We're not sure how to grow in our faith, how to move forward. So let's go back to the gas station image for a minute. Uh, let's say that you have a favorite gas station that you go to. It's got the perfect price. Um, for me, it would be that gas station on the corner of 123 and Old Bridge Road. Um, so that, that is, yeah, a lot of you know that gas station. So that one has a really low price, love it. Um, but let's say that you're going to this gas station, and over time, uh, the pumping, pumping the gas into your car becomes slower, and you notice that the gas isn't taking you as far as it used to. And so you start thinking, well, maybe I'll try the gas station just down the street. Maybe it'll be better there. And for a while it is, but then the same thing happens again. And then what do you do? What do you do when that happens? Here's the bottom line I want you to understand. Making worship about our needs and treating worship as our spiritual fill-up to get through the week will always disappoint us in the end. Every single time, without exception, it will disappoint us. And the reason why uh, is because that's not what worship is really about. The real question in worship isn't what will meet my needs. The real question in worship is what kind of worship does God call for? And in order to rob this myth of the power that it has over us, we need to dig deep and figure out what exactly is worship and, and what is worship really about. And to do that, we have to get into God's word. So the first thing that I want you to know uh, is worship is primarily our faithful response. Worship is primarily our faithful response. Think back to the Bible verse that most people know, even people that don't go to church. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So what we learn from this is that it's because of God's love that Jesus came. It's because Jesus loved us that he, he went to the cross and that he rose from the dead. It's because God loves us that all of this is possible. God loved us too much to let us go. And if God did nothing else for you and for me, if that was all God ever did for us to save our souls and to make it possible for us to experience everlasting life, that should be enough. And yet God does far more than that for us God does far more. Jesus promised that we would have abundant life on this earth so long as we faithfully respond to God's grace. And we do that through our worship, through our faithful response. On your notes, you'll see a number of words that I've put down there that kind of dig into what worship is all about. The first word that I have on there is an old English word, and I got to tell you, I, I butchered this thing when I first saw it. Um, I thought it was like we earth, Skype, or 
something like that worth Skype? I, I couldn't figure it out. But eventually, um, my, friends of mine helped me to find a pronunciation for it. And basically, it is we earth we earth So very strange, very unintuitive, but essentially it means ascribing or giving worth to God. Uh, it's like putting the words worth and ship together, worth ship, worth ship. And so as we gather today, we're recognizing that God is worthy of our time. In fact, what we're also doing is we're recognizing that God should be first in our lives. And we do this because he first loved us. Now, you don't often hear the word liturgy very often, uh, at least here at Christ Church. It's kind of an old-fashioned churchy word that essentially means how we order our worship. Now, um, for example, today we started with music, we moved into prayer, we moved into a message. Uh, later, we're going to move into offering and into communion. And so that's a, kind of an example of how we order our worship here at Christ Church. But what's interesting is that the Greek word liturgia essentially means work of the people of God. And that's really significant. I want to kind of break that down for you a little bit with an example. Every solitary week, the pastors, the worship leaders, and the tech team leaders meet right outside in one of the rooms in that hallway at 7.30 a.m. every Sunday morning to go over the service. And we do this to basically cover our bases, but also because we want to give God our very best. Now, just because you aren't in the room with us doesn't mean that we alone do the work of the people of God. You know, we are not the true worship leaders. I am not the true worship leader. Jesus is our true worship leader. We only have a role that we play. And so for every one of us, every single one of us sitting in here today has a role that we play in worship. We are all the people of God doing God's work together. And so, but the coolest word that I found was the German word Gottendienst. And I think I said that right. Um, it means the church's service to God. And it also means God's self-offering to us which I think is really, really cool. You know, just like before, we talked about how worship is the work of the people of God. So worship is also our service to God. But it doesn't stop there. There's a mutuality because God offers himself to us in the midst of our worship. And here's the really cool thing. Remember before how we said worship is primarily our faithful response? Well, God is so good to us that he responds to our response by pouring out even more grace on us, filling us up. And so at this point, you may be thinking, well, wait, we're, you've been saying all along that the myth that we're breaking today is this idea that worship is my spiritual fill-up, but you just said that God fills us up in worship. And you'd be right, I did just say that. But here's the thing. The important distinction we need to make is our motivation for worshiping. Do we worship God because of who he is and what he's done? Or do we worship God for what we can get out of God? And so that's, that's a question we have to consider. And that's why we need to more thoroughly define what worship is all about. Here's the next thing I want you to jot down. True worship is never confined to a time or a place. Too often we fall into a trap thinking that worship is a one-hour commitment every Sunday. You know, we, we don't realize, we, we often say things like, we're going to worship or we're going to church. And we don't realize that we are the church uh, and that worship isn't something that's confined to a once 
a one-time-per-week commitment. You know, when we say these things, we narrowly define what worship is, and we rob ourselves of the multifaceted nature of what worship is really about. And Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, had to learn the very same lesson. In fact, ironically, during one of the most amazing stories in Scripture. And uh, you'll see on your notes you have a single verse from that story, but I wanted to share with you the whole passage just for the context. So here's what happened. About eight days after Jesus had said these things, he took Peter and James and John with him. They went up on a mountain to pray. As Jesus prayed, he was changed in looks before them. His clothes became white and shining bright. Two men talked with Jesus. They were Moses and Elijah. They looked like the shining greatness of heaven as they talked about his death in Jerusalem, which was soon to happen. But Peter and those with him had gone to sleep. When they woke up, they saw his shining greatness and the two men who stood with him. As the two men went from Jesus, Peter said to him, Teacher, it is good for us to be here. Let us build three tents to worship in. One will be for you, one will be for Moses, one will be for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was talking, a cloud came over them. They were afraid as the cloud came in around them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, the one I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice was gone, Jesus was standing there alone. You know, I really love this story, and it's one of those stories where I can get something different out of it each time that I read it. And I just want to do a quick breakdown of, of how we got there. Basically, Jesus and his disciples, and three of his closest disciples, James, John, and um, Peter, uh, go up on the mountain together, and they're Jesus prays, and while he's praying, he, his glory is revealed to the disciples. You know, it, it's described as this shining light that just emanates out of Jesus. And in that moment, Moses and Elijah appear. Now, Moses and Elijah lived hundreds of years before Jesus, and they were the pillars of the nation of Israel, of our um, of the, of the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. Um, and so Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus. And now it, it says, it's really funny, it says they were sleeping, so they missed this, kind of. And, but when they woke up, they, they saw that. And Peter and the others were in this complete state of wonder and in this amazing moment of worship. So think for a minute, imagine... Uh, the best worship experience you've ever had, you know, uh, where the message and the music were absolutely perfect. You never wanted it to end, and you didn't want to leave the building. And we all know Peter's a man of action, so what does he do? He gets up, and he goes over to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, you know, I've been thinking, let me, let me make three tents for us to worship in up here. And one will be for you, one will be for Moses, one will be for Elijah. And I love how verse 33 calls Peter out and basically says, he had no idea what he was talking about. What was Peter talking about? You see, Peter was so caught up in the moment, in the wonder of this experience, that he never wanted to leave. He didn't want to go back down into the valley where there was pain, where there was hurt, where there was suffering, where there was unrelenting need. He wanted to stay on the mountaintop and bask in the heavenly light forever. But the cloud and the voice of God reminded Peter of the purpose that God has for us in worship. And worship fills us with one purpose, and that's to serve. 
Worship fills us to serve. You see, if Peter, James, and John stayed up on the mountain, how would any others come to know the loving and saving grace of Jesus Christ? Peter tried to make this incredible moment of worship about his own needs, but God had other plans for him and for the rest of the disciples. In fact, uh, Scripture tells us, if you read a little bit further, they, the four of them, Jesus and the three disciples, came down the mountain, and immediately they found that the other disciples at the foot of the mountain were in the midst of a crisis situation. And Jesus intervened with all the grace of God, bringing healing and restoration into that moment. And, you know, the gospel uh, of Mark often describes what Jesus' mission was to his disciples. And Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I thought it would be fitting to give a uh, visual demonstration this morning of how God's grace works in us. But first, I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of backstory into what I'm talking about. So I got this mug during our Christmas Eve services this past year. It was a gift uh, to me. And I really love this mug because uh, it, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't have to keep using those disposable cups every time I come downstairs. But for a more important reason, it has Joshua 1.9 on it. And Joshua 1.9, if you were here last week, you know what an impact that had on my life, that scripture verse. Um, and so I was here late on a Monday night for a meeting um, earlier in January. And I was getting my media cart because we do um, Zoom video conferencing. Um, and so I had this on the cart and the door, the locking door was shutting on me. So I needed to catch it really quickly. So I went to grab it, um, but my other hand was still on the cart and I jerked the cart a little bit too much and the mug fell and smashed into dozens and dozens of pieces. Now, normally, I would just say, okay, well, that's that, and just sweep it up and throw them out. But something stopped me. Something made me go back and, and pick up those pieces and bring it back to my office. And over the next couple of days, I got some industrial glue, and I put it back together again. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now, you probably can't see, well, maybe you can, but you probably can't see the cracks from where you're sitting, especially if you're in the cheap seats back there. But here's the thing. This cup... Is, has cracks running all through it, this mug. And I can't drink out of it ever again. I mean, it's not safe to drink out of with all that glue. Uh, but I think God gave me another purpose for using this cup, for keeping the cup and, and putting it back together. So to, this, this morning, this cup represents each of us. You know, the Bible teaches that we are broken people, that each and every one of us have our scars and have our cracks. We have our flaws. And think of God's grace as the spiritual fuel that we receive in worship. So this picture here represents our worship. And the water within the picture is God's grace poured out on us. It's our spiritual fuel. But here's the thing. When God pours his grace in us, this is what happens. You know, we can't hold on to it forever. We need to keep returning to worship, to the pitcher, in order to be refilled by God. And that leaves us with two choices, only two choices. Either God pours his grace in us, and we choose to pour that grace out on others, or 
God pours his grace in us, and we do nothing. Either way, we can't hold on to the grace that God gives us. We can't hoard it. And the reason why is because God is an infinite source of that grace. God wants us to keep worshiping, to keep coming back to that well. But here's the really neat thing about serving. We find that when we serve, when God fills us up to serve, and we pour ourselves out on others, that God often refills us even in the moment that we're serving. And so we never truly can be empty when we're serving God by being poured out for the sake of others. So here's the thing that I want you all to understand. Worship can happen anywhere at any time. If we come to a weekly worship service to be filled but do nothing with the grace that God gives us, then it leads to that old tired cycle that we've been talking about. And if you've experienced that old tired cycle of the spiritual fill-up, there is hope. There's a way to break that cycle. And I'm going to share with you five ways to do that right now. If you want to flip your sermon notes over to the back, I want you to jot this down. First, you need to reorient your perspective. Hopefully the message is doing that for you today. But if not, maybe these words that Peter, uh, Paul wrote to the Roman church will help. And Paul writes this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember earlier how I said that there's a distinction between worshiping to be filled and being filled in worship. A big piece of reorienting our perspective is asking God to change our motivation to worship. To ask for our motivation to worship to be transformed, in other words. Paul defines true and proper worship as offering everything that we are and have as a living sacrifice. Another way to look at it is we refuse to hold back our very best from God. When we worship to be filled, when we worship for our own sake, to meet our own needs, we're giving God our leftovers and we're asking for a feast in return. Giving God the leftovers and asking for a feast. But when we reorient our perspective, when we renew our minds, when we give God our best, we come to know God's will. In God's will, when we know it, we come to see worship in a new way. And when we come to see worship in a new way, it motivates us to practice the presence of God daily. That's the second thing I want you to write down. Practice the presence of God daily. You know, we Christians are often taught that we need to have a quiet time to be alone with God. And that's true. But oftentimes, we unintentionally leave our Bible and our relationship with God on our bedside table as we go about the day. We don't realize we can bring God with us into our day, or we don't know how to do it. And so here's what Dr. Ken Boa wrote in his book, Life in the Presence of God. This is a really interesting quote. He says, sure, it's good to give the first or the last moments of our day to God, but what about the rest of the day? It's so easy for our hearts and heads to end up somewhere else. Is that how God really wants us to live? Is that what he really had in mind when he said he'd give us abundant life? 
We should take our life with God and our awareness of his presence with us everywhere, not just into our quiet times, but into our noisy times as well, incorporating practices into our lives that help us keep that awareness right in front of us throughout the day, every day. You know, we all need to take that to heart. So often in life, we are fast asleep, just trying to get through our day, through our week. But life is full of things designed to wake us up. Uh, sorrow, love, a great sense of need, all of these things wake us up. And at the core, all of the spiritual disciplines we practice, whether it's scripture reading, praying, fasting, all of those things are designed to do one thing, and that's to wake us up to God's presence in the world. And that's how we stay close to God, no matter what our circumstances bring. Jesus himself said it this way in John's gospel, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you say these last three words, remain in me. That's why true worship can never be confined to a time or a place. When we practice the presence of God daily, we are, we're able to remain in Jesus. And when we remain in Jesus, we become visible manifestations of God's grace to the people around us. That's what it means to bear fruit. Jesus is the root, and out of that root comes our faithful response of true worship. And that goes much deeper than just a daily quiet time or a few spiritual practices. I think the writer of Psalm 71 said it right. And he said this, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. And like the writer of Psalm 71, we can make these words our own because when we practice the presence of God, we are filled with God's glory and with God's praises every single day. And we'll see with a new set of eyes how God is moving around us and guiding us to respond. Now, when, now that we've reoriented our perspective and are practicing the presence of God, that opens the way for the next thing, which is to absorb distractions with gratitude. Especially here in Northern Virginia, we're used to making our plans and setting our schedule exactly the way that we want. And there's almost no room for any kind of unexpected things popping up. You know, life is full of chance encounters that can seem rather insignificant, but when we think about it a little bit more and see how God might be moving in the circumstances, we begin to see that maybe there is some significance to some of the seemingly random things we experience. What you might at first call a distraction might be a holy appointment that God has placed in your schedule that takes priority over your own plans. It can be a profound moment of worship where God is at work in your life and where God is inviting you to do his work in somebody else's life. You know, one of my favorite stories from the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. You know, Jesus and his disciples are trying to get away. They've done some uh, heavy ministry work, and they're, they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and they're looking to escape all the crowds and to just go somewhere quiet. But the scripture tells us that the crowds followed them no matter where they went. Like along the bank, they were just kind of walking along, following the boat. And here's what happens in the story. Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on from foot, uh, on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
What's neat about this story is how the feeding of the 5,000 almost didn't happen, especially if the disciples had anything to say about it. They wanted to rest. They wanted to get away from the constant work. But because Jesus practiced the presence of God, he was able to absorb distractions with gratitude. He didn't begrudge the people. He had compassion on the people. He recognized that God was moving in the situation even before he realized that there was a shortage of food. And then God used him to do one of his greatest miracles, all because he was able to absorb distractions with gratitude. So now that we're reorienting our perspective, practicing the presence of God daily, and absorbing distractions with gratitude, we're in a position to be spiritually filled during the week. You know, after a while, something truly amazing happens in our worship. The more we worship God outside of Sunday mornings, the less we depend on weekly worship to fill us up. We're being filled by pouring out God's grace on others throughout the week. And the well comes with us, and we begin to see worship as a constant opportunity to offer God our very best. All of a sudden, the mundane tasks of life become incredible gateways to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And here's how Paul put it. He said, whatever you do, work at it with, let's say these three words, all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, the first time I understood this and really took it to heart was when I was still working in the uh, music retail industry. You know, there was a time where um, I was complaining all the time about working retail. I often said, well, the people I'm, you know, dealing with are all unhappy, and, you know, I didn't see any of the positives. But it wasn't until I came to recognize that worship can be something we experience all the time that I started to work differently. Instead of grumbling about people who seemed unhappy or who kind of took it out on me, I prayed for them. And I offered people the very best service that I possibly could because I wanted to see Christ in them. I wanted to serve Christ in them. And working with all of my heart to honor God humbled me in a way that I desperately needed at the time. And what amazed me the most was how I was spiritually filled while I was worshiping at work, serving Jesus. And another scripture that gave me guidance during this time was Matthew 6.33, and it reads this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What I learned from that is I don't need to be desperately searching for spiritual nourishment throughout the week. God knows exactly what I need. God knows exactly what all of you need. In fact, if I'm simply faithful, wherever I happen to be in life, doing all the work I do as an expression of love for the Lord, then I'll get what I need and more. In fact, my priority shifted from wanting a powerful experience of God from ex to experiencing a powerful God who is big enough to be involved in every area of my life. And that changes everything. Because when you're being filled spiritually during the week, it leads to the last way that we break the tired old cycle of the spiritual fill-up. And that's this, to come to weekly worship full. Come to weekly worship full. Now we've come full circle. Earlier we talked about how in the tired old cycle, we come back to worship empty to be filled. But when we come to worship already full, worshiping to thank God for all he's done, God uses us in powerful ways. 
And here's how Jesus describes what this looks like in John's gospel. This is a really important scripture. And he says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God wants all of us to worship in the spirit and in truth. And we can only do that if we break the tired old cycle of the spiritual fill-up. Part of coming to weekly worship full is, uh, in a sense, preparing for weekly worship. For some of us, maybe that means uh, staying up a little bit later Saturday evening to be in prayer or to be in God's word to prepare for Sunday morning. For some of us, uh, as we're able, I know for those who have kids, this is probably an impossibility, but for some of us, maybe coming in to the worship center about 10 minutes before the service starts and praying that God's presence would be manifest in this place, praying for the pastor, praying for the worship leaders, praying for those who come in, imagining as you see people walking in, the burdens lifting off their shoulders as you're praying for them. And so these are just a few ideas. And God is more than capable of revealing so much more if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And speaking of eyes to see and ears to hear, I saw something really neat in our sermon notes. If you look on the back page, every single scripture verse that I included there has an underlined portion. And what I realized is that when you read through all the underlined scriptures on the back page, you get a really cool message from God to round this whole message out. And basically, God is saying this to us. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Remain in me with praise and glory. Have compassion on the people. Work with all of your heart and seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. This is the kind of worshiper I seek. God defines that for us right there in a seemingly random bunch of scripture verses. Here's the bottom line. Don't settle for anything less than the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Worship isn't your spiritual fill-up. Worship is and should always be your life. And it doesn't end here, but it continues wherever you go. The well hasn't run dry, and you don't have to wait six days in order to get back to it. God is just inviting us to simply be faithful with the grace that he gives us, that we do something with that grace throughout the week. That is our true worship. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your loving grace in Jesus Christ, which never fails and never ends. Lord, you are our God now and forever. Thank you, Lord, for defining for us today what true worship is all about. Lord, forgive us for those times where we worship for our own reasons. Forgive us those times when we worship to get something out of you. Lord, we know that you meet every one of our needs so long as we seek first your kingdom. So Lord, as a church, I pray that you would help us all to seek your kingdom first, to be your people, to grow in our faith in such a way that we resemble more and more the Christ who we come to worship today. Thank you, Lord, for bearing with us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the way Thank you, Lord, for filling us with your grace. Just as we saw with the pitcher in the water earlier, pour your grace into us, your broken vessels, and allow us the grace to pour that out on others. 
to serve them in this world, to bless them with the gift that you've given us. And Lord, keep us from being tempted to stay on that mountain, to bask in the heavenly light forever, because we are meant to go out into the valley and to serve your people. Thank you, Lord. And we pray these things, loving you and in gratitude and great expectation in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.